You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a PR firm that specializes in music technology. And those of you who are regular listeners know that when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, I instantly started interviewing all sorts of interesting companies in the live streaming space. It just seemed like, what are we going to do? Obviously, everyone's going that direction. And we saw some veteran companies find out that uh, pulling the oars in was fine at the moment, but all of a sudden they were rowing upstream as fast as possible. And uh, and then we saw lots of little startups come up and do really carve off different sections of uh, their approach to doing live streaming in the music space. So as we often do things in a counterintuitive way at Music Tectonics, now that we're, you know, everybody's adjusted and adapted and so forth, we're talking to probably the longest running veteran in live streaming uh, of, of video and audio contents. Uh, here today on the episode, we've got with us the chief executive officer and founder of Bulldog DM, John Petricelli. How are you doing today, John? Great, Dimitri. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to finally have you on the show and, and have this conversation because, like I said, you've been doing this longer than anyone I've ever met. <laughs> yeah, uh, 20 years now. And uh, a lot of people don't even realize that the industry has been around that long. And clearly, it's definitely caught fire in the past year. And so, uh, you know, my team and I have learned uh, quite a bit along the way. Yeah, you know, I want to ask you right out of the gate. We'll get into a little bit more about what Bulldog does and, and all that. But what's it been like to have been doing major digital live stream events for 10, 20 years and all of a sudden see there's this major new need for it since the pandemic hit? Yeah, it's, it's actually really been fascinating. Uh, I, I kind of thought when I started this company that maybe uh, I had started it uh, a year or two, maybe three years early. And in the early days, it was education, evangelism, you know, white papers, conversations, here's how to do this. And it was, uh, you know, it was kind of kind of slow going, I would say. And then it started to accelerate as some of the, the uh, social platforms launched live video and started to emphasize it. And then, uh, you know, it was almost an overnight uh, transformation where this became the focus of nearly everything. We kind of went from the the far right kind of slow lane on, on the highway or freeway to the high speed lane. And uh, it was, it's been, so it's been really fascinating. You know, it's great to see all this uh, attention that the industry and the space is getting, you know, I wish it were for better reasons. I would rather be at a, you know, a live show and a performance and an experience. Uh, but we're, uh, I'm happy and grateful that uh, this is now a, a super important industry for you know, for a myriad of reasons, but it's been it's been uh, uh, it's been fascinating to kind of go through that process, having been at this for so long. Did you ever have the thought of, oh, now you guys are paying attention to this? <laughs> yeah, you know, definitely. And you know, uh, there's um, I probably had uh, I don't know, I'd say three competitors in February of last year, and now you know, I think there are between 100 and 200 companies uh, in the space in some capacity. So that's been kind of you know fascinating i think a lot of people are uh, are touting their expertise even though they've been in it for 90 days uh but that you know i think that comes with the territory I, i'm just i'm just happy that this is uh got the attention that it that it's got and um you know people are for us we don't you know we're not we don't take on we're not for everybody uh we're more the, the premium end of the spectrum so it's certainly it's certainly worked out for us and again i couldn't be happier that 
there's this much emphasis on, on this medium right now. Yeah. So the type of live stream events you do are very different from a lot of what has emerged, this, the kind of stuff that you're talking about suddenly in this past year. Let's get a little bit more into that. What's, what's different about what you do? Everything we do is largely a premium video. And that I would define that as something that a, a brand would pay for both, you know, blast it out to the world for brand awareness, but also some sort of a, a gated experience that might be for some sort of a, an audience that they're that authorized to view and or that uh, that they would charge for. So it could be a pay-per-view live stream or we even got a, a client in the subscription world. But it's really um, kind of falls into those, you know, those buckets where uh, the quality, the emphasis is on quality, optimization, performances, uh, or performance, and really, uh, you know, best practices, which is what the company's calling card is. I and mean, we've learned every possible uh, thing to consider and, co- you know, concept to be aware of. We've learned what to avoid, what to emphasize. Uh, we can certainly help if someone's going to be, if their priority is live broadcasting on Facebook or if it's on t- uh, TikTok or if it's a blend of a bunch of, you know, distribution points, as well as even setting up and implementing, you know, white labeled sites. We've really figured this out. So, uh, you know, premium to us kind of is just that it's a, a highly engaged audience or it's a defined audience or it's something that's going to be monetized. So um, I just want to ask a little bit more about that. Um, so you, you said a lot of times you're working with brands for these types of events, uh, these live streamed events. Now, are we specifically talking about consumer brands or um, do you work directly with uh, artists who might be considered brands? Are we looking at festivals that would be considered brands? Or is it really on the kind of the consumer brand side that's using live streamed events, concerts, other, other events, conferences, and so forth? Um, uh, to, to, to kind of expand their footprint or, or engage with their consumer base? You know, it's, it's a blend of, uh, of, of all of those in a lot of ways. And what, uh, when I started the business, my, uh, my learning was, you know, a promoter like, uh, like Golden Voice wants to stream Coachella, um, but they've got too many things to be concerned about rather than, you know, going out of pocket and financing this. And, you know, most of the premium content experiences in the country and the world, you know, the, the idea is let's get a brand partner to underwrite and deliver this rich broadcast, be that, you know, T-Mobile, AT&T or whomever. So early on, uh, we decided to really focus on Madison Ave, you know, big brands that were, as we all know, going through this massive disruption, right? The, the Internet and the digital world has really transformed how brands reach and engage people. And, you know, we listened to them and the feedback we got was, boy, we got three big problems. We have cord cutting, ad blocking and brand safety. And we realized that if you execute live streaming properly, you're going to address those three issues and, and you can address them pretty effectively. I think the big takeaway for live streaming executed properly is, is the watch time. I mean, presupposing you're going to have some kind of an audience, but it's that impactful, extended, you know, viewer duration and, you know, they're also telling us that the average consumer watch time has gone from like 12 seconds a couple of years ago. Now it's down to eight seconds. And if we do this properly in a live video engagement, that watch time could be 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes could be, you know, could be an hour or so. So a lot of what we've done is really focused on building solutions that speak to these big brands that are in the throes of this disruption. But also we've worked with, uh, you know, promoters, agencies, artists uh, themselves, 
Uh, we've done uh, all of like Kanye West's uh, Sunday service shows, or we just did a really interesting pay-per-view thing for Avril Lavigne, who created this you know pay-per-view show where the proceeds would go to the global um, Lyme Alliance. You know, she suffers from Lyme disease and has actually created the Avril Lavigne Foundation and made this beautiful show and brought in uh, Wilmer Valderrama to uh, to host it, but also had Alessia Cara, Rob Thomas, and One Republic join and, and perform songs. So when we say uh, brands, it's a great point. It could be a, uh, a, a big Madison Ave brand. It could be an ad agency. It could be a promoter or an artist and you know uh, we have a massive emphasis on music and that was largely you know born out of the work I did early in my career with Prince and I, I just learned you know in a, a really fascinating way you know uh, how an artist might take you know the challenges artists have when they move into technology but also when they kind of chart their own path you know the benefits that they can drive from it and he was clearly a, a first mover and a huge innovator and I think he kind of set the path for what's happening today in, in technology and music. Cool. We'll get into your story uh, about your origin story, I should say, uh, in a bit. But um, and, and what I'm hearing that you came out of this for music, like looking to live stream and, and optimize the technology around that for music for artists, but the business model that, that made sense at that moment in time was really to get brands to support it. And at the time, you figured out how to convince brands that this was a worthwhile thing to support because it turned out to cut through those three elements you mentioned, the, the cord cutting ad blockers and brand safety, and just found it to be a super engaging, great way. And you had a turnkey key solution for them. Is that right? So that you came from music and then the brand thing actually came to support the way that artists could actually get onto these live streamed events. Yeah. Um, when I was, uh, you know, I had sold my prior company to AEG and I was inside of AEG and I had kind of moved YouTube kind of along in the conversation about why this would be important to them. And then we had this kind of, uh, I would say, uh, proof of concept with an Alicia Keys show brought to the viewer by American Express. And YouTube came back to me and said, hey, all the things you told us came true. We had a very happy artist, a super happy brand, and a delighted audience. We want to be in this business. At the time, they were more VOD focused. So we struck an agreement. We powered everything on that platform. You know, Coachella, Bonnaroo, Rock and Rio, Lollapalooza, Austin City Limits, movie premieres brought to you by a studio with a brand partner, and even 10 pole events like Oracle Open World. And it quickly dawned on me that uh, there's a big business to be developed around here, kind of bringing brands into these experiences. And, you know, the other takeaway from being inside of AEG is, you know, they're masters at brand partnerships, you know, whether it's the naming rights for the Staples Center or, uh, you know, a tour sponsorship or kind of the, the way brands are integrated into Coachella. It's, they're there, but they're not offensive. It's not on your face. And I thought, hey, there's a, there's a big business to explore here with Brands and largely because, uh, again, uh, when they say things like you, know, you see the core cutting numbers from millennials, it's it's stratospheric, and the fan that the brand is trying to reach is not you know they're not sitting in front of uh, their TV on Thursday night watching Law and Order and consuming the State Farm ad, right? They're probably not watching traditional television at all, and here's a really compelling way to reach them, reach them at scale, and have this you know captive experience. And what we're offering them is, is watch time. What do you want to do with these 21 minutes? Do you want to introduce a product, offer a call to action, or is it just a brand awareness exercise? Do you want to align with a cause and connect with the audience that way? 
Uh, you know, if you're an auto company, perhaps you can say, hey, here's my new vehicle. If you want to sign up for a test drive, we'll give you a coupon of some, of some you know, value. But there's a real, when you, with watch time, I think you really unlock, uh, you know, the power and the holy grail that these brands want. And I think we discovered that early and then have really doubled down and focused on it across the company. John, I know why you're why you're a pro at this because my mind is just like turning as you're talking. You're dropping all these little nuggets that just make me think, whoa. And you know what I just thought of? You've basically inverted the ad concept completely. The the TV ad thing was put an ad inside programming. You're putting programming inside an ad. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a really compelling way to look at it. And you know, it's true. Even if you we've done shows for uh, like Coca-Cola at a festival where you can switch between three live channels of video because uh, there's a there's six stages that we're capturing content from and then we added all kinds of other features you know again uh, social polling trivia uh, photo wall calls to action and you know we brought coke along over a series of years at that particular property and it, this was the uh the viva latino festival in mexico city which is the top like the been around i think over two decades and for Coke, the the uh, result was overwhelming, right? The average watch time on mobile was 29 minutes. And the average watch time on desktop was 113 minutes. And Coke was, you know, that's, you can deliver that to a brand. And this, these are millions of users as well on a Coke, you know, micro. I think it was like 3.9 million viewers. That was uh, an incredible home run for them. And they were, you know, wow, this is, we see this as, as the future. But you're right, it's kind of taking that, uh, the mix of the programming and the brand story inside of that live stream is very captivating. Yeah, interesting. So when you back up to what we started this conversation with, with with how everyone's now doing live stream concerts, this huge growth as a result of the the pandemic and, and social distancing, when you look at how people are thinking about live stream concerts, what do you think people have been getting right and what do you think they've been getting wrong? Uh, early in the pandemic, I think you saw every artist on the planet you know, performing from their bedroom or their living room. And we were all kind of stuck in this together. And I think that created this influx of, you know, venture money and companies kind of springing up and entering the space. So we've gone through this evolution of uh, authenticity. We get to see your artists perform and you realize they could be this iconic superstar, but we're all in the same boat together of, Quarantine, pandemic, you know, kind of waiting this thing out, hopefully you know, getting uh, a vaccine approved and, and widely administered. And then we started to creep into the pay-per-view realm. And the one thing I've learned is, uh, you know, this is not easy to do. And it was largely because the Internet was architected for VOD. You know, if you want to watch a music video, you would go to Vivo, a TV show, Hulu a movie, Netflix, and everything else on a platform like YouTube. What people didn't contemplate was there was going to come a day when there's a massive uh, propagation of connected devices that can play live video combined with this explosion of social media that now people want to have this real-time participatory experience. So it's not something you can learn um, overnight. I mean, candidly, we're still seeing things that we're figuring out, that we're learning, you know, even though we've been at this for, you know, a, a super long and extended time. And I think a lot of these companies, uh, one, don't understand those things. They don't understand things like um, redundancy, right? It's best to have uh, a single path where you're pulling the video out of the, out of the studio or the arena or the, wherever the performance is. 
but also a backup transmission path. So if there's an issue with the first one, we can keep the show on the air by defaulting and rolling over to the second path. And even with encoding, um, you know, having an, uh, a primary in, encoding appliance, but also having a backup, uh, you know, cluster of, of, the, of appliances. And this, this mitigates, you know, things that you would see where a show is interrupted. I mean, ideally, live video should be the same um, as it is on television. You don't, you know, you're not going to, you don't expect CBS to have buffering or an outage or a loss of audio or a temporary loss of video. And again, uh, this is a, that's a, a lot to comprehend and a lot to process. Second, um, there's a lot happening here. There's, there's video, live, live, multi-camera video capture. There's transmission and encoding. And then there's distribution. You know, where are we pointing this? Where is it going? Is it going on social? Is it going on a, on a microsite? And then people want KPI. They want, they want reporting and measurements and results. And I'd say majority of these companies um, maybe focus on one of those things, or maybe they focus on two. And, you know, it's a little, it's overwhelming to manage. And again, I think this is inherent in the business. And we don't make the bits, right? It's usually AWS that serves the bits and we don't build encoding appliances. It's elemental. So the nature of this is to manage some things uh, under this kind of umbrella, kind of like a systems integrator or a general contractor. Uh, But you've got to understand how all these things, A, how they function and B, can they scale, right? If you've got, 500,000 simultaneous viewers watching something. They're all on different device profiles. They're on different uh, browsers. There's a lot of different things to be contemplating and thinking about. And that's why um, best practices are so critical and so important. And, you know, in the early days of live streaming, you would, you'd learn more about the failures, right? They're uh, like the Victoria's Secret failure, you know, the internet crashed or, you know, Oprah Winfrey did an online broadcast that didn't work for whatever reason, oversubscription, whatever the case may be. But this industry was actually known more for its failures in its early days than its successes. You know, I don't know if that's a function of what, you know, headlines are grabbed in the media, but this is not an easy thing to pull off. It's not an easy thing to understand. And, um, and we're seeing it. We're seeing feedback now from music executives. Oh, I tried all these companies and uh, it didn't work to, my, to what they told me it did. Or it turns out they had to bring in four other companies to pull the project off. And, you know, a big brand doesn't want to deal with 5, 10, 15 companies. They want a quarterback, one company they can go to and bring everything ideally under one roof or through a general contractor relationship. Again, this is, uh, I think it's all learning on the fly as well. It's not easy to do, especially if it's a, you know, a Justin Bieber or a BTS or someone who's got a massive, massive global audience. Uh, there's just a lot to learn. I don't think you can learn it in one, two or three or three months. Yeah, I mean, this is so interesting because the way that you just come at this whole thing, it, it's your experience shows and the size of the events you do show because, you know, obviously we've talked about everything from just pulling out your phone and, and streaming to Instagram. And, and, you know, a couple minutes ago, I was thinking, you know, when, when, when LinkedIn launched its own live streams, I was like, this is like people are treating it like, you know, like uh, Snap stories and Instagram stories, all these things. Like now everybody has this live stream component, but a lot of them are kind of very MVP, like let's just make this happen and so forth. Look, we're going to take a quick break. And when I come back with you, John, I'm going to put you on the, the, the dunking machine. My aim's not very good, so don't worry about it. But I'd like to do a rapid fire with you about some of these differentiators across different live streaming approaches. So we'll be right back. 
Let's meet up next Tuesday. We host Together Tuesdays, a virtual meetup in the Music Tectonics community app, the social network for music tech. Starting at 2 p.m. Eastern, that's 11 a.m. Pacific or 7 p.m. in the UK, join the Music Tectonics team in the app. Post, comment, share links, and use the tag Together Tuesday to get involved. Ask each other questions, discuss recent podcast episodes, or share the music tech and music biz news of the week. And if you're a member of Clubhouse, I'll be there at the same time for an audio-only music tech chat. In our app, look for the hashtag TogetherTuesday and use it in your posts and comments. Every month, we will feature our favorite interactions on the podcast. If you're not on the Music Tectonics community app yet, I'll tell you how to join in at the end of this episode. Okay, we're back now. Um, so, so, John, this is really cool, getting your perspective on this lo- kind of this longer-term vision uh, and adoption of, of pretty, pretty elaborate technology here. Like I said, I'd like to do a rapid fire with you about some of the differentiators across live streaming approaches. There's probably a, a half dozen or, or 10 things I just want to ask you about and just get your quick boom. What do you think about this? So um, uh, are you ready? <laughs> I sure am. Yes, far away. So using social networks versus having a bespoke or white label approach, what's your quick take on that? Uh, I think you've got to contemplate both, right? I think you want to do some shows on these social platforms, uh, especially if you're in the music business. That's where your uh, your fans are. Most brands or musicians or companies have invested um, in in beefing these, these, these followers up a subset of that is, you know, don't, don't we can go to, we've done shows, we've gone to all of them, you know, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and TikTok simultaneously. Woo. Pandemic, we've also done it. We did a PNG show on Animal Crossing, and we did an <laughs> Ad Council STEM show uh, inside of Minecraft. Uh, you know, having said that, and, and that's actually not expensive, right? Once the video is processed and it's transmitted, it's a nominal fee to you know go to more of the social platform, but know where your audience is. I think you know Mercedes, their priority is Instagram, right? Because that rich kind of texture, you know, stories or or images of, of the vehicle. And then the question becomes, um, you know, the microsite. And so we have some clients that you know they would want to uh, simulcast, so they're on social, but they've also spun up this elaborate. Uh, viewing hub that's got multi-angle, it's got curated chat, it could have polling and trivia. So the audience could be invited in real time, hey, click here to come have this deeper, uh, richer engagement. And in the pay-per-view arena, you know, we've, we've taken that. So we've taken all that great tech we built with brands and put it inside of these live white label pay-per-view shows for artists. And here they have the benefit of that functionality, but we also offer them the ability to tease the show. So the opening song or some you know, pre-show asset can happen on an artist's social account. And they say, hey, if you want to watch this full show, click here and come over to the microsite and buy your ticket. So there's not a one-size-fits-all answer, but I certainly would advocate for kind of a dual approach, right? I think you saw, uh, we did a show with Justin Bieber on Valentine's Day on TikTok, but on New Year's Eve, he did his own, you know, his own pay-per-view show. So smart strategy, probably made a pretty good living on the New Year's Eve show, but also uh, came out today, uh, 4 million viewers watched this TikTok performance of his uh, record journals, which was the most watched uh, single artist show in the history of TikTok. So really savvy, really smart strategy there. Cool. Awesome. Here's another one. Ticketed versus free events. Again, same thing. I think uh, just like that example with, uh, with Bieber, I would be pursuing uh, both strategies. 
Um, if you're in the in the music business, well, let's be honest, a $25 billion industry that's on hold, it's suspended, you know, based on the outcome of the pandemic, people need to replace those revenues. And I think there's uh, an incredible business in both, uh, particularly, let's not forget that, um, you know, brands are looking to reallocate some of their traditional dollars. They can't be at uh, a festival, they're not sponsoring tours. They've got dollars they can put in play for live shows. So that's it could be a, a big broadcast on a social platform or the and then I, I would, you know, and then also I'd, I'd consider uh, pay-per-view. And an interesting trend is coming on these pay-per-view shows. It's not the, it's not the large audience that you get when you do it for free, but the fans watch every single second of these broadcasts. They're so engaged. I think there is a an industry to be you know curated around brands sponsoring pay-per-view shows. So they're going to pay less, but they're going to get this, you know, 50 to 90 minute watch time based on, on the pay-per-view shows. Pretty, I think there's a, there's a business worth exploring there. Very cool. Okay. Here's another shooting from a phone or having a pro setup using a single camera, using multiple cameras. Uh, I would always go for the higher quality experience, especially now more than ever, because there's so much, uh, you know, content out there. So many platforms being offered. The one thing that's emerged to me is uh, the higher quality uh, video and the higher quality audio is going to have uh, just a better experience. The audience is going to enjoy it longer. They're going to watch longer and they're going to invite their friends you know, to enjoy it with them. You know, having said that, um, you know, we've done we've shipped kits to people. You know, we've done work with uh, like Hollywood celebrities who are kind of stuck in the Hollywood Hills. So they have you know kind of limited you know Internet connectivity. We've actually shot shows on uh through these kits and sometimes we've even used a, a samsung s20 phone you know it's got the 4k on the front but you turn it around it's got 8k and i've even wa- i watched uh we did it for bet and i watched an mtv show over the weekend where the the talent actually had the phones mounted above their laptops and you could see the reverse uh that way but having said that uh if it's music it's a, if it's a performance i think pros doing it and um and real gear real equipment I think sets you apart from, again, all of the noise because you're going to be competing with all these different other live opportunities. The good news is the cost to do these things has come way, way down, right? It's not a hundred thousand dollars like it used to be in the early days of of this work. So yeah, there's a happy medium there somewhere given that not everybody has that budget, but there's a way to get things done with a level of quality that's inside of a reasonable budget. Okay, here's another. You ready? Yes. <laughs> this is fun. Uh, native monetization options versus third-party uh, options for, for how you monetize a show. I'm a, a very big believer in, and I learned this in the, you know working with Prince, kind of opened my eyes. Um, if you're a content creator, you're an artist, why not have the direct relationship yourself with the fan? Why give it away to, a, again, with, these, with the... I think exception of a platform like Apple or Spotify or, or Amazon, where that's at a different stratosphere. But, you know, these, quote, new companies, I think it's, uh, but also there's a, a caveat there. I think you have to be able to move a certain amount of ticket inventory uh, as an artist as well. And if you can, I think doing a white labeled experience from your own web property where you own the relationship with the, with the fan themselves, you get access to also terrific reporting where people are, how long they're watching, down to what devices they were on, and even the operating system. If I was if I was a content creator or a music artist, I would love to know these things. You know what you know how do, how does that split out? 
how would I formulate my touring, you know, going forward when we do return? Maybe I didn't realize I have this insane following in Southeast Asia or in or in Latin America. I mean, back in the early days when we were doing Lollapalooza, just in Chicago as a tentpole show, the reporting data went back to, you know, C3. They got to see that they had this insane pockets of audience around the world. And today Lollapalooza is in Argentina, Chile, Brazil, Sweden, Paris, and I think a few other places. So uh, that's my philosophy is uh, if you've got the ability to go direct and do a microsite, white label, why not own that relationship directly with your audience? Cool. Uh, what are the best interactive components of a live stream? Maybe top two or three. Yeah, I think the ability, you've got to give your ability, the artist, uh, the fan, the, the viewer to have this collaborative and participatory experience. Uh, not having that, I think, is a, is a death sentence. Uh, certainly, you know, people want it, especially now they want chat. Um, I think it's important to curate that chat. People are sick of inflammatory trolling and spam. They don't, they don't want to see that anymore. Uh, the ability to, uh, I think, poll, offer polling and trivia, maybe help, you know, pick the, uh, the next song in the set or help select the encore. Super compelling there. And then even, you know, the ability to offer calls to action in, in, in graphics. I think those three uh, give you, set you apart, give you a great experience and really connect with the fan combined with, I think the ability to, to switch your camera feed. You know, I think that's a unique, you know, getting away, anything you can do to get away from traditional uh, pr uh, broadcast television, uh, I think is really what the audience wants in terms of a live stream experience. Yeah. Okay. What about VIP offers? What, what, what are your, what are your hot tips on VIP offers? Um, you know, having worked for the second largest promoter in the world, I learned, you know, that's a, that's a very important thing in, in, a, in a tour or a festival or a concert of any size is give your audience the ability to have multiple ticketing options. And we've, and I think everybody has to replicate that in the virtual world as well. Right? So in the, you can buy a ticket to a show pre-pandemic, you can buy a higher price and get a bundled uh, piece of merchandise and you can pay a premium and have a meet and greet with the artist. That same thing should carry over into the streaming world. Again, uh, a ticket, a bundled piece of merch, and uh, it could be a post kind of Zoom session with, with the artist. Or we've even done, we did this with Avril Lavigne, is you could pay a premium and go to the sound check. And you could also submit a question and she would pick, I think she picked 10 or 12 questions that she kind of rapid fire answered. But that's, a, yeah, I think we're seeing that 50% of the live stream ticket buyers are also buying merch. So you've got a great opportunity there uh, to really make incremental revenue. Cool. Uh, I've got one more. Uh, combined with in-person shows or independent of in-person shows? Are we once, once things open up again, are we looking at some hybrid where people go to shows and festivals in person, but then they can also live stream it? Are these really totally independent? Uh, so I, I'm a big believer in the fact that this is only going to significantly continue, you know, post pandemic. And it's driven by two factors. One is user behavior. Literally, the whole world has now live streamed something, right? This has never been an, an inflection point like that in history. And what I mean by that is if you're a grandparent, you've done a Zoom session with your family. Uh, if you're a kid, you've done distance learning. If you're just a general fan, you probably watched a versus battle on Instagram. So everybody's kind of gone through or you've, you know, you've gone to a virtual conference in some way. So this great you know, user behavior, everybody seems to now understand, this is how I watch live video. And the music side, I think any artist that may have been reticent to live stream themselves, 
that's gone away. They've now done it in their living room, in their bedroom. You've seen their husband or their wife walk through the set or their baby or their their pet. I think we've all now landed in a place where this is important and the fans have really responded to it. They want to see they want to see you perform live and they want to and they want to have authenticity. I think too there was a um, a Live Nation kind of leaked memo that said, "Hey, post pandemic, when you give you the offer letter, we're gonna it's gonna say we're live streaming this show, you know, to the artist." And because we're kind of frozen in time, a lot of the venues now have also brought in infrastructure and cameras as well. So I, I think it's going to be a logical strategy to amplify the shows either through a virtual, you know, a pay-per-view ticket or through a brand partnership or perhaps both won't be every single show, but it could be the opening night of a tour or the closing night of a tour, or it could be geo filtered, right? So that if I'm a, Eminem's performing in Miami and I'm in LA uh, and the shows I I would pay to watch that experience, you know, from my my device. I think there's a big business there to be developed. Awesome. Great. That was fun. Thanks for doing the rapid fire with me, John. Um, We're going to take another quick break. Just got another announcement. And then when we come back, I want to ask you about something that we, uh, you, you touched on early on about how you measure success on a live stream. We'll be right back. We're giving Music Tectonics listeners the chance to speak up and win a prize. Every week, we pose a big question that you can answer in the Music Tectonics community app. At the end of the month, we'll choose the most awesome answer and send the winner one of my favorite books about business, music, technology, or just life. This month's prize is The Innovator's DNA by Clayton Christensen. Here's this week's big question. What is the best use of live stream concerts you've seen in the past year? Look for the post that goes with this episode in the Music Tectonics community app. We'll tag it hashtag the big question and answer in the comments. If you're not a member yet, we'll tell you how to join at the end of the episode. Now back to the show. All right, we're back. And like I said, John, I wanted to ask you uh, how you measure success on a live stream. I'm sure you know it's a lot different than an artist just picking up an, a phone and shooting to Instagram and then being like, hey, did anybody show up? But brands are probably looking for a little more info. What, what, what can you offer them in terms of measuring success? The number one key success point is average, you know, average viewer watch time. Uh, far and away, we hear that from, especially from the brand community, they're less... Uh, clearly, they want, a, they want an audience of some caliber and some size. But what they really desire is an extended watch time. It just shows kind of the efficacy of the experience and, and the offering. And I think the same would be true for a music artist. So now you're kind of seeing that you've also given them a reason to come back, right? If they watch for an average, you know, significant watch time, they're probably going to come back and they're probably going to invite their friends. They probably had a good experience. That's the, the number one, I think, big driver. And you achieve that largely through, you know, a quality experience that stays on the air, that's got some level of, of interactivity, whether that's, again, chat, polling, trivia, photo walls, calls to action, et cetera. That clearly is, is the, uh, that's the holy grail. Yeah, cool. Awesome. So, all right. Now we've just been blown away by like the, asking you these fast questions and getting so much just chunky content, and we haven't really told the full story of how you got into this. I know you've made some interesting references, and people are probably now, wait a second, what did he do with Prince, or who did he just say? So how did you get into live streaming, John? I uh, In the early days of the internet, I was in the content uh, delivery business, so I had begun delivering. You know, I, I had worked, you know, I'd come out to LA and I had learned 
you know, the, the way everybody does, I got into the agency world in the mailroom and you really get, you know, a quick baptism by fire of how things function and how things work for music, uh, TV, film, you know, you name it. And so I, I realized I had some technical background and I wanted to leverage both, right? My, the work I had done in entertainment and my technical background. And at the time, everyone in Hollywood started to become preoccupied with the internet. So I landed on streaming because it was clearly the inflection point where both of those worlds met. And I was able then to go into the entertainment community and I kind of knew their pain points. I knew what they were, you know, kind of terrified of based on the piracy thing that had happened in the music business. And I was able to do deals with some of the biggest, you know, uh, companies in the world. And I was, uh, this is back when, you know, Microsoft Windows was in battle with uh, real uh, and an Apple QuickTime. And, you know, I was a, I was Switzerland. I was serving video for all of them. And the Apple people had come to me and said, hey, we really like what you're doing with QuickTime. Uh, there's an artist that wants to do this themselves. Would you mind you know, talking to them? I said, sure. You know, who is it? And they said, it's Prince. And I'm, you know, big fan. So I, uh, I quickly learned that um, it's really hard because I kind of tr- transitioned into anti-piracy content protection. And, you know, things like DRM, that's a really hard concept to explain, especially, you know, 15 years ago. So to short circuit that, I took a file of Purple Rain and I had it encrypted and I shot it over to uh, his team. And when you open the file, it said you have to be authorized to play this, um, meaning pay or, you know, be inside of his offering. And I got this email back in the middle of the night and I learned that he does most of his work in these off hours. And it says, you know, Prince says in quotes, this is exactly what I want to do. And I was spelled E-Y-E and it was a letter to, you know, to do. And we quickly got into a deal. I, I uh, built him a direct to consumer music service, which I think was the first art, official, you know, big artist any, uh, service. And he filled that with audio, video, EPs, you know, clips of him performing live, you know, new music. And it was really incredible. And the fans ate it up. And then he came back and said, I'm going to go on tour. And this was his big, massive comeback tour. And he said, I want to sell uh, a, uh, the best tickets to my fan club. Meaning if he's going to play the Staples Center, he would take the three or 4,000 seats around the center of the stage and offer that to his fans. So we had to quickly spin up this uh, ticketing service as well. And it all worked. He ended up winning like a, a billboard award for best use of technology by an artist and a Webby award. But then I got to go see him perform and I got to see some early kind of tune up shows for this tour. And these performances were just mind blowing. I had never seen I had seen him perform back when I was a younger person. But to see him collaboratively working with his band and his musicians were the best in the world. It was incredible. And it dawned on me after seeing him perform from from the Staples Center to the O2 in London to his own living room. There's going to come a day, you know, I'm thinking I want to tell my friends about what I'm watching. I saw him jam in his living room with um, Maceo Parker, Alicia Keys and Stevie Wonder, like at an after Grammy party. And it was just I couldn't describe what I was watching. And I thought, hey, there's going to come a point where I want this is going to be a shared experience. I should be able to share this with my friends. And. At the time, uh, I was advising um, a live streaming company for about four, five, six years, and they had been asking me they were you know to come over and be the CEO. And it was through this Prince experience, I thought, hey, this is the future. Why don't I do this? And I did that 
And then within like three or four months, I was summoned down to AEG and they, we were advising them on how to properly wire the uh, LA Live campus, you know, 4 million square feet that it was the Staples Center, the Grammy Museum, the Conga Room, the Club Nokia, it's just this massive infrastructure. And they said, you know, we're going to buy your company. So that was, uh, so it was Prince to now I'm inside of AEG that is this big live ecosystem. And then in parallel, I had this, you know, conversation with YouTube happening as well. I'm like, hey, you guys should consider this business. And they said, well, why? I said, one, you're going to drive highly engaged fans, you know, to these shows on the platform. And then two, post events, you're going to, you know, expose them to all the other assets across your ecosystem. So it was really that kind of cadence of Prince, AEG and YouTube that it kind of dawned on me. This is, this is a really interesting business, but it was definitely you know, probably the greatest live performer ever walked this earth, being around all the things he was doing and how innovative he was, especially with tech. Uh, I just thought like, hey, this is the future. And uh, luckily it's, it's worked out. Wow, that's, that's, that's amazing. It's just cool to see those steps that you took along the way. What, what kind of opportunities just presented themselves, but also how you kind of leveled up each step of the way and, 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 and kind of hopped across the river on these stones that appeared, whether it was AEG or YouTube or so forth from, from Prince too. So that, that's super awesome. Um, so um, where do you think the next innovations will emerge in live streaming? I mean, we, we've talked a lot about kind of the cutting edge right now, the stuff that you see as being very important, but what's next? Uh, you know, I think like we all are, uh, we're all got kind of bated breath on what's going to happen in the XR kind of VR world. And I think, mm. it's, you know, as more of these devices hit the market, I think it's going to be really compelling, really interesting. You know, I'm, uh, it's hard for me to predict, but I also believe that uh, 5G, I think, is going to transform the video industry in general, but certainly the live space. You know, I think you're going to see, you know, zero latency, beautiful 4K live streams across the board. But, you know, again, that's the future. I think right now uh, the industry should be focusing on some of the concepts we're talking about today, interactivity, engagement, quality, uh, redundancy, especially for the the higher tier, more premium content. And by the way, you know, premium content could also be an emerging artist with a massive, deep social media following, right? They're going to build their, their business on their touring and their, and their live performance combined with their with their music catalog. So I think it's a you know blend of all these things, but we also have to be cognizant of the fact that there's new things that are popping up, you know, all the time. And you've got to be aware of that. Is there going to be another uh, you know, is it a, is it a TikTok? Is it a thriller that's going to pop up across the, the the ecosystem? Hard to say. I mean, you know, I think uh, look at the popularity of live audio on Clubhouse, right? That's a pretty new platform and it's got crazy adoption and, and crazy growth. So I've always said, you know, the market's going to inform us on what's going to happen next. The beauty I have is that I I am working with AT&T, Nestle, Snickers, Coca-Cola, Apple, you know, Spotify and Netflix. They give great feedback, too. Right. There's some smart people that work with these companies and we tend to follow some of their direction. But we also provide them guidance and and feedback. So I like to think we have a kind of an ear to the ground of, of what's going to happen next. But it's pretty hard to pretty hard to predict where things are going to go, and especially the way and innovation is happening so rapidly and so quickly now, especially when the world is globally connected. Uh, you kind of uh, some in some ways you've got to be uh, focused on the vision, and other ways you've got to let things kind of come to you and kind of learn from again your stakeholders and your partners and your clients. 
Well, that's awesome. Great way to great way to wrap up an incredible conversation, John. You've been so generous with uh, with your your knowledge and uh, and thoughts on where things are going. So I appreciate it. Speaking of uh, waiting for people to come to you, how sh- who should come to you and how should they come to you? If people are interested in working with Bulldog uh, DM. Who who are the right types of uh, entities uh, to come to you? Is it brands only? Is it artists? Is it agencies? Is it booking agents? Who 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 should be approaching you and and what's the best way to track you down? Uh, uh, great question. Uh, you know, I, I would say, you know, we're not for everybody. If you want to st- live stream your kid's soccer game, you know, you can probably do that, <laughs> from, you know, from an easy application or from a phone. Again, our emphasis is really on providing a managed service to for a premium show. But, you know, we do work across brands, agencies, artists, talent agencies, management companies. And a lot of the, some of the platforms are our clients as well. And we have, you know, we're, we're, we work with Facebook, YouTube. Uh, and TikTok. So it kind of falls into those uh, buckets. Having said that, I'm keenly aware of a lot of the confusion that our industry is currently in. And I get that feedback from a lot of these uh, these institutions. And again, if I put my, my Prince hat on, I've, I've tried to build a business that is kind of artists, kind of look through the world through the lens of the artists and how can we be helpful. So what I'm, what I'm also trying to do is make our you know ourselves available if someone's in the industry and and uh, you know we so we work very closely with a with a with neva for instance right very very passionate very important partner to us you know those three thousand music venues are, are the core of the music business and this is where these artists became famous this is where they launched their careers so we also want to be a, a a resource and we're happy to do that if somebody says hey i'm listen i don't understand who does what how this all works we want to be able to you know, be available like if it's a 30 minute call, if it's an email, um, you know, my team is all now former Live Nation and AEG people combined with, you know, technical engineers and managers. So we have, a, I think, a different approach and a very informed approach. So we also want to be available as a resource. If somebody wants to talk to us and say, hey, I just got a couple questions, I'm, you know, and we're not looking to sell everybody on every, in every conversation. But the more informed the community is, I think the better the industry is. So we're also kind of in that mode as well. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that, John. So great to have you on the show. Um, and we'll have to keep an eye on what comes next. Uh, it's it's like a story that's unfolding right before our eyes. And, uh, and you're right in the middle of it, which is awesome. So I appreciate you coming on to Music Tectonics. Hey, thank you for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Become a part of the Music Tectonics community, a social network just for music tech aficionados like you. It's free to join. Use it on the web at app.musictectonics.com. Find the mobile app for Apple and Android devices in the relevant app stores. Connect with people from all corners of music and tech. Answer the big question and meet me there on Together Tuesdays. There's more about the community app, this podcast, episode, our annual conference, and our newsletter at musictectonics.com. Peace! You're listening to Music Tectonics.